Today, I just want to talk about something that's really been on my heart this morning. So we'll dive into the word here in just a moment. I'm going to pray today. God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, for for all that you've done and all that you're doing. I pray that you would just continue uh, to speak through me today, God, that we would hear what you want us to hear, that I would say what you want me to say. And I just thank you for your presence in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, I hate losing things. It's a pet peeve of mine. I cannot stand losing things. I hate spending time just wanderingly, wandering aimlessly around, trying to figure out where I've left something, where I, where oh, I can't find something. My least favorite way to start my day is trying to find my car keys. Anybody spend like the first 15 minutes of their morning trying to find their car keys? I've tried to become one of those people that like sets all my stuff out the night before, make sure I at least have eyes on the things that I know that I need because I hate losing things. And uh, over Christmas break, Kristen and I, we traveled up to Montgomery, Alabama, where I have family and We were there, and because we were together, we had one car, and we kind of did everything together while we were there. We went everywhere together, and so if we would go and grab food, or if we would grab coffee, or anything we would do, I would usually just pull out my debit card and pay for it, because I have all of my debit cards in my phone and just kind of readily available, and so I would pull that out, and I would be the one to pay for it. And so when we got home from our trip away, we did what you do kind of when you get home from a trip, and we had to restock on groceries, and so... Kristen went to the grocery store, and she started kind of putting things in the cart that we needed to to get back uh, all the stuff that we needed. And so she went to check out, and she discovered that she did not have her debit card. She did not have her debit card. She could not pay for the groceries that she had. And so she called me, and she could not figure out where her debit card was because for many days she hadn't used it. And so now here she is in the grocery store. She can't pay for what she has because she doesn't have what she needs. She starts retracing her steps. She can't figure it out. She cannot find it. And she's experiencing what many of us have experienced many times, which is when you lose something, you you usually don't realize that you've lost it until you need it. And so the fact that you've lost it kind of becomes a bit of a crisis because you don't know that you had lost it until the moment that you needed it. And we see this really clearly in this story in the Bible of a man named Samson. And if you're familiar with his story, if you're familiar with the story of Samson, then you know that Samson was a man of incredible strength. He was a strong, strong warrior. He was a man who went to battle and he always won. And the source of his strength was this covenant that he had made with God that he would not do certain things. And one of the things that Samson said he would not do is he said he would not cut his hair. And so Samson's hair was kind of the source of his strength. And Samson ends up falling in love with this woman named Delilah and she wants to know the source of Samson's strength. And so she begins to ask him, she begins to nag him, she begins to over and over beg him to tell her the source of his strength. And so multiple times, Samson tells her something that is actually not the source of his strength. He tells her something and she tries whatever it is that he said to try and it it doesn't take away his strength. But then he finally caves and he lets her know, listen, the source of my strength is in my hair. And so she cuts his hair 
And she calls on these men to come and bind him. And he gets up like he always has to fight a battle and do what he's always done and wins the battle. And, and it's in this moment in the story that we come across really one of the saddest verses in the Bible. In the book of Judges, it says this. It says that when Samson, when the men came upon Samson, that, that he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That in that moment, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He got up to fight the battle the way he had always fought the battle. He got up to do what he had always done, but he was in this crisis moment where he did not know that he didn't have the strength that he needed for the battle that he was about to be in. But see, the truth is that we don't often actually lose things. Like when you actually lose something, it's gone. You're not getting it back. When something is actually lost, it's completely gone. Well, what is more often the case is not that we lose something, but that we leave something. Like after a certain amount of time, we finally realized that Kristen had left her debit card at a Starbucks here in Sarasota. And so what we were able to do was we were able to call that Starbucks. They had the debit card and that very debit card is back in her wallet today, I hope. But we were able to return and get what it was that we had lost. We thought it was lost, but we really just left it. We really just left it. And this is why I love the new AirPods. Anybody have the new AirPod Pros? Anybody have the new AirPod Pros? I love the AirPod Pros. I'm a big uh, uh, headphone user. I use my headphones to talk on the phone. I use them to listen to podcasts and to music. And so my uh, AirPods that I had before these were in really bad condition. One of them didn't work at all. I could hardly hear out of the other one. They were really more of a pain than they were a, a, a good thing for me. But I continued to use them. And so for Christmas this year, Kristen got me the new AirPod Pros. And these new AirPods have a feature that my last earphones did not have. And that is that they will tell you when you're leaving them behind. That when you start to leave, like when I start to leave my house in the morning, if I don't have the AirPods in my backpack, as soon as I start to back out of my driveway, I get a text on my phone that says, just so you know, your AirPods are not with you. And it'll let you know because it connects to the phone. It says, you have left your AirPods behind. And many times throughout the day, I'll be pulling out of my driveway. I'll get that little notification. I'll get out of my car, go back into my house, and I will get what it is that I was leaving behind. Be because if you can stop yourself from leaving something behind, you can stop yourself from actually losing it. Like if you can be reminded that you are leaving something behind, you're less likely to lose it. And somebody at the Apple Corporation figured out that if, hey, if we'll let people know that they're leaving these behind, they will be less apt to actually lose them if we warn them ahead of time. And there's this moment in the book of Revelation where Jesus kind of gives this pre-warning to the churches of that day. And the book of Revelation is written by the apostle John. And I want to give you a little background and a little context because a lot of times when you even mention the book of Revelation in the church, people are like, let's head for the doors. Things are about to get weird. 
But in the book of Revelation, it's written by the apostle John while he's on the Isle of Patmos. And all of the rest of the original apostles are no longer with us. Judas took his own life just after Jesus' crucifixion, and the rest of the apostles were all martyred. But history tells us that John, that the government actually tried multiple times to kill John, and throughout the, the process of them trying to kill him, he just kept preaching to the point that he never died. And so because John never died, they decided if we cannot kill him, we will isolate and we will exile him and we will send him to this small insignificant island of Patmos. And this is where John is when Jesus comes to him in a dream and speaks to him these seven letters that are going to go to seven churches that make up the first two chapters of the book of Revelation. And so here John is exiled on this small, tiny, insignificant island. And this isn't even really part of the message, but, but this is what ends up and happens is that John writes these seven letters to these seven churches. And if you look at what seven letters he's written to the churches, the cities that they're in, these are the seven most influential cities of this time. They are the cities that make up the, the most used trade route of that day which means that these cities were large and they were influential and they were cities that people from other areas often traveled into and stayed in for a brief period of time and then left. So these are very influential cities. And yet John is exiled on this very insignificant small island of Patmos. And I think that just serves as a reminder to us that sometimes we view the situation we're in as small, we view the situation we're in as insignificant, and it might just be a reminder for somebody today who feels like their life is feeling small and insignificant that God can actually do something of great influence through places that are seemingly insignificant. That, that, that when it looks like maybe we aren't being used on the level we thought we were being used, when it looks like maybe we didn't have the influence that we thought that we would have, that God can use those moments where we feel insignificant, we feel like we're exiled and alone uh, in a small place when we expected big things, that God can use those moments of insignificance to do something significant. That he can use those moments where we feel like we have no influence to actually have great influence. Because from this small, insignificant island, John writes a book that goes to the seven most influential cities of the day that we are sitting in Sarasota, Florida today still talking about. And so God can use those insignificant moments. And I think we need to remember that when we look at our lives and what is going on in our lives. I think sometimes those of us who spend a lot of our time parenting, what we thought maybe we would be doing something else, and at this stage in our lives, we find that we're just basically carting our kids around to different places and getting them fed and making sure they stay alive another day. And some days it feels insignificant, but God is reminding us that he can bring things of great influence and great significance out of those moments that seem insignificant. And so John is on the Isle of Patmos when he gets this revelation from Jesus for these seven churches in these influential cities. And he's on the island, and he begins by writing to the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus was John's home church originally. And so he writes this letter to the church of Ephesus. And of these seven letters, they all kind of have three phases that they go in. And the first is that they begin with a compliment and then there's a bit of correction, and then there's counsel of how to get themselves out of the thing they're being corrected on. And so we pick up in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 
And it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. Now, if Jesus comes to you and says the words, yet I hold this against you, pay attention to whatever comes next. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, again, I want to give a little bit of context to the beginning of the wording and the language that's used in the beginning of these verses, because we're talking about stars and lampstands. And for some of you, it might sound like the Lord of the Rings and like something weird is going on. But, but we've already been told in chapter one that these seven lampstands represent these seven churches that John is going to be writing this letter to, and that that is what those lampstands represent. And so he begins with the compliment. He begins by saying, hey, you're doing a lot of things really well. In fact, I'm really in tune with your theology. I want you to know that I'm glad that you are not tolerating things that you should not be tolerating, your organization, your structure. All of this is good. The lampstand is good. But the problem is it's not about the lampstand. It's about the fire on the lampstand. And you, you have stepped away from your first love. That you have stepped away from your first love. Have you ever stepped back to realize that you're not as passionate about something as you used to be? Like, you're, you're not as, as passionate, you're not as excited, you're not as motivated about something as you once were. I know that this can often happen in our relationships, in our marriages, and we realize that, that we've kind of drifted apart in some way. It's maybe not that our relationship is falling apart, it's maybe not that our marriage is even necessarily in trouble, but if we measure where we are at with where we were, we can see a decrease in where we once were. And this is what Jesus is saying through John to the church at Ephesus, is that you once were in a better place. And so you need to return to the things that you used to do in order to get back to that place. See, anytime we kind of drift away in a relationship, anytime we find ourselves less passionate, anytime we find ourselves less excited, less engaged, it's usually not, it's usually not a decision that we've made to be there. It's usually a series of small decisions that we've made that slowly but surely drift us apart. We slowly quit doing the things that we used to do in order to have the passion that we used to have. And what Jesus is essentially saying to this church is you've gotten so caught up in the quality of the lampstand that you don't even realize that there's no fire on it that you've gotten so caught up in how everything looks that you don't realize that the passion and the fire is not there. And can I just say that that is still a danger for the church today? It is still a danger for the church today that we can get so caught up in how things look and how things sound and how things appear that we, are, we don't realize that the lampstand is good, but there is no fire on it. And we can do that in our own lives. 
In our own lives, we can make sure that we look good. We can make sure that we say the right things. We can make sure that we appear as though everything is fine spiritually, and our lampstand looks good, but there is no fire on it, and we cannot afford to live as a people who do not have the passion of our first love for Jesus Christ. We cannot afford to be a church that does not have the passion of the first love for Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gives this warning to John, and he says, if you don't make some changes, I'll remove the lampstand, that I'll take it from its place because there is no fire on it. I don't know if any of you have been watching the Olympics. I like the Olympics. I like the torch. I like how they run it through all the different cities and they pass it off to a different person. And I was thinking about this verse as I was watching some of the Olympic coverage. And they always go to like great pains to make sure that the actual torch that is being carried has meaning and it has beauty and it looks good. But I was watching as the torch was kind of being run through the cities in this montage of all the years past of when the torch would go through different cities and they were showing the different kinds of torches and all of this. But, but it struck me, crowds would gather to watch this torch run through their city. Crowds would gather to see it as it makes its journey towards the big Olympic torch in the Olympic village. And it struck me that if that torch came running through your city and there was no fire on it, Nobody would say, you know, but the torch looked really good. You know, it was, it was still cool to see the torch. No, the whole point is the fire. Like, if people were running through the city with a torch that was not lit, the story would be that there was no fire on it, that no one would care about the quality of the torch. And this is what Jesus is warning through the Apostle John, is that I will remove the lampstand if you don't return to your first love. I will remove the platform that you have. In fact, he says, I will take it from its place. In other words, if you lose the fire of your first love, you will lose your place. You will lose your ability to even show that fire. And sometimes it's a weird thing, but sometimes when, when a powerful person or a powerful entity gives us a warning, for some reason, often we automatically take it as a threat. Like, like, when we hear Jesus say, I will remove your lampstand, I think sometimes when we hear that, we hear it as a threat. But this is not a threat. The other day, I was playing in my driveway with my middle daughter, Sophia, and we were throwing a ball back and forth. And as we were throwing it back and forth, everything was going good. But I stopped for a minute because I knew she was really into the game, and she was on the street side of the driveway. And I said, listen, if this ball gets past you, and it goes out into the road. I know you're very excited. I know you're paying attention to the game, but if it goes into the road, don't run after it. Do not run into the road after the ball because people fly around this corner and I don't want you to get hit by a car. I don't want you to get injured. I want you to wait until we know that it's clear and then go. This was not me threatening to, to hit my daughter with a car. This was me informing her that if she does not pay attention, that there will be negative ramifications to that. And that is what Jesus is doing through the Apostle John here, is he's not making a threat, if you don't do this, I'll remove the lampstand. He's giving a loving warning of the path that they are on. He's giving a loving parental warning saying, listen, if you don't return to your first love, if you don't make changes, then you will lose your place. And, and so he kind of moves from 
this idea of, of giving correction then to giving counsel. Because how many of you know that the worst kind of feedback is feedback with no counsel? The worst kind of feedback is just, hey, you're doing this wrong. Good luck. No, Jesus does what, what, what a good leader does in this moment. And, and it's kind of that thing where he says, hey, here's a compliment. You're doing really well here. Here's an area you can work on. And then he moves into, here's what you can specifically do to make the changes you need to make. And he gives them three things that they need to do. Let's look back at the verses. He says in verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Notice the first thing he says we need to do in that moment is we need to remember the place we've fallen from. Now, I love this advice because so often when we've drifted and we're not in the place that we need to be, our own kind of personal bent is to look at where we are and to regret where we are. It's to look at the condition of where we are and to regret the place that we fall into. But, but Jesus doesn't say, look at where you are, look at the condition you're in, and feel the remorse, feel the regret. He says, no, the, the way out of this is to remember where you once were. The way out of this is to remember that it was once better than it was right now. And I think for some of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we can remember a time where we had greater faith than we have right now. We can remember a time where we had more passion than we have right now. We can remember that time when we first came to God and we actually believed the things that he said in his word. We can remember those moments. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church. He's saying, listen, remember where you have fallen from. And then number two, he says, return to the things you did. Return to the things you did. And this one is really the most important, is that you actually return to the things that you did. Now, see, what I love about this is that, is that it's good news that when you haven't truly lost something, when you've just left it, you can go back and get it. You can go back and get it. You can go back and have that thing again. If you want to get your marriage back, you have to go back to the things that you used to do when your marriage was solid in order to get it back. If you want to have your relationship with the Lord back, you have to go back to the things that you used to do in your relationship with the Lord. If you want your health back, you have to go back to the things you did when you were living that healthy life. See, I love that he emphasizes do the things you did. He doesn't say feel the feelings you felt. He says do the things you did. It's a decision that you can make regardless of the feelings that you have to do the things that you once did. See, I think a lot of times when we think back to the beginning of our first love, whether it be a relationship or our relationship with the Lord, what we think about is a feeling. What we think about is how we felt at the beginning of that relationship. But see, what Jesus is saying in this moment is it's not about returning to a feeling. If you will go back and you will do the things that you once did, the feeling will follow. But it begins with you making a decision and it begins with you actually doing the things you used to do. I love the feeling of a fireplace in a house. 
I had a fireplace in my last house. I miss it a lot not having one because I loved sitting by the fireplace. I love the feeling of the warmth. I love the vibe, what it did to the room. But, but here's the thing about sitting next to a fire is that you could never actually feel the result of the fire if you didn't do the things you did to build the fire. I don't feel the warmth of the fire when I'm gathering wood. I don't feel the warmth of the fire when I'm balling up newspaper and kindling and putting it up under. I don't feel the warmth of the fire at that moment. I don't even really feel the warmth of the fire when I strike a match and I first get it lit. But when I do all of the things and then a little time passes, then there's a fire. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus is he's saying, if you will begin to do the things that you once did, the feelings will follow. The results will follow. But you need to first begin to do the things that you're no longer doing. You need to return to the things that you once did and you're no longer doing. And then 30 says that you need to repent of where you're at and you need to turn from it. And when you do, and when you begin to do those things that you used to do, then I will restore your place. And so what are we returning to? There's really two things that I feel like we need to return to when it comes to returning the things that we did. Because at the beginning of a relationship, at the early stages of a relationship, there's kind of two things that you always do. You always spend time with that person. And if you're not spending time with that person, you talk about that person. You spend time with that person and you talk about that person. And I believe that if you're in this place and you've left your first love, it's time to return to spending time in the presence of God. We do that through worship. We do that through spending time in his presence and we do that through his word. I I, I cannot encourage you enough to get on a daily regimen of reading the word of God reading the Bible, getting in the Word and reading what God says. I think so often we get concerned that if we read it, we're not going to remember it. If we if we read it, we're not going we're not going to retain what it is. But I, I once heard a pastor say, and I love this so much. He said, "I can't tell you what I ate for lunch two weeks ago, but I know that it nourished my body two weeks ago when I ate it. I, I may not remember what I ate then." but I know that it nourished me then. And and when you get in the word every single day, you may not remember what it said two weeks from now, but it will give you the strength you need for that day. It will give you the direction you need for that day. And then we need to return to talking about our first love. We need to be able, we need to be people who are willing and open to share our lives with Christ with other people to share the source of our joy, to share the source of our peace, to share the source of all he's done in our lives. See, when you have your first love, when you first step out and begin to follow God, you witness to people. You tell them about the love that he has for you. You tell them what he's done in your life. But somewhere along the way, sometimes we tend to lose that first love and we need to return to talking about him. Listen, if there was ever a time in your life where you are closer to God than you are right now, it's time to return. If there was ever a time, if there was ever a time, if you ever had it, the good news is it's not gone, it's not lost, you just left it. And when you leave something, you can return and you can retrieve it. You can return and you can get it back. And that's my prayer for us today is that we would return to our first love that we would return to that first love fire that we had when we first came to know him. Would you stand all across this room to your feet with me this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed.